Um, <coughs> excuse me. On Tuesday mornings, I meet with a group of pastors to look over the scriptures that we're going to be reading throughout the week and studying and preparing our sermons on. And uh, the story that I just read the kids about Jacob and the ladder uh, going up to heaven with the angels was one of the stories. And as we were talking about what we could or should preach about in this coming week, I really focused on the this story because there was more to just more to the passages of scriptures that we were looking at, not just the Jacob one. But I really focused in on that one. I just felt like that was the one that God was really drawing my heart to. And the thing, the thing that, that I focused on was, in his dream, Jacob heard God say, I am the Lord. And you know, as a pastor, one of the, one of the most common questions that I get asked is, how do you know when God is talking to you? And I don't have an answer. The only answer I can give you is the same stupid answer I got when I asked my father and mother, how do you know you're in love? Y'all just know. <laughs> and the only answer I can give you is when it's God talking to you, you'll just know. Well, thanks, Pastor. I'm a brand new Christian. How am I supposed to know it's God? How do I know it's not the enemy? Well, that's a scary thought. Now I'm responsible for whether or not you go to hell because I didn't tell you how to hear properly? Wow, that's kind of a scary thought. But the reality is, that is one of the primary questions that every Christian struggles with. And it is a learned skill. It is not just an off thing that happens only for a few God does indeed communicate with every single one of us. Now the thing is, if I were to give you the theological terms, God is transcendent and imminent, all at the same time. Transcendence means that God is out there. He's awesome and great and unfathomable. We We can't figure out who he is. We can't discern what he looks like or what he sounds like or anything because he's so far out there. But at the same time, God is imminent, which means he is right here with us. And the word of God clearly says, if you don't have the spirit in you, with you, you are not one of his. We just, we've looked at that in the last couple of weeks. The Holy Spirit is present with us for one reason and one reason only. To be God with us. To be the communicator of God's will. To bring us into truth. To confirm in our hearts that we are God's children. And Jesus gave us a real, wonderful, horrible verse that beats Christians up all the time. First, in the Gospel of John, oh, before I go any farther, those of you taking notes, you're going to hate me this morning. I have about 30, 20, 30 verses of scripture, and I don't have time to put it on the slides. So just write your notes down. It is being recorded. You can listen to it later. All right, here we go. Here we go. Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. What else does it say? Let's look that up real quick. John 10, 27. 
Because I don't want to just give you words. I want to read you God's word. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. They follow me. How can they follow unless they hear the voice and discern it? And again, the problem is, for most of you, myself included, it is one of the hardest challenges to learn to recognize the voice. But the word of God says you will know his voice. And honestly, without anybody talking, just raise your hand. Who has been intentionally discipled on how to hear God's voice? Three people. Four people. Okay, church, leadership team, this is an area that we need to work on in discipling. Because obviously the, the, the majority of this group don't feel that we have done an adequate enough job in helping them to learn how to hear God's voice. So, that's a challenge. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will then declare to you the things that are to come. So God's Spirit with us is going to guide us into truth. He will be speaking what He hears in heaven and communicating that to us, and He will declare to us things that are to come. So what this is saying is, we can get messages from God the Father through the Spirit to even know what's coming down the pike. Ooh, spooky. Now, am I saying prophecy for every single one of you? No. Am I saying you're going to have a supernatural glowing staircase coming out of heaven and God standing at the top going, I am the God of all ages? Maybe. I will say to you, and I say this with a little bit of fear because I can be misinterpreted if I don't say it correctly. I will say to you that God does reveal himself differently to each person. Okay? That is not saying that God is all of the different gods that are represented on this earth. Okay? I am not saying that. There is only one true God. However, he relates to you in a way that you can best receive. He relates to me in a way that I can best receive. But that doesn't change who he is. And I shouldn't even say he, because we don't even know that he's male or female. It's just God. Now, let's get into this long litany of, uh, of scriptures that I want to look at. The very first thing that I think I've already said a little bit uh, through the stories that we talk with the kids, and a little bit of what we shared, is that there is a possibility for you to hear God. And one of the ways that God speaks to us is through our dreams. If you look at Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12 verses 1 to 16. And I'm, I don't have mine marked either, so it's going to take me some time to get through it if you want to follow along with me. 12, 1, 2, 3, 1 through 16. It says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his wife. And, the, and it says, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And at once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, you come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. And then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood at the entrance of the tent, and he summoned Aaron and Miriam to come forward, and he said, when both of them step forward, you listen to my words. 
When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. This is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And with him I speak face to face. Clearly not in riddles. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. And you can read all the way through 16 to get the rest of the story later. But there's one thing that I wanted to focus on in verse 6. There's this little tiny little thing that gets skipped over in this. When the prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. And I speak to him in dreams. When God wants to communicate, there are two primary ways that he does it. At least talking to a prophet. Visions and dreams. We'll be looking more about that in a second. In Genesis chapter 15. Let's just turn quickly back to that. And it is the whole chapter. Which obviously we are not going to take time this morning. To read the entire chapter. Genesis 15. But this is the covenant that God made with Abraham. And just to sum it all up. There comes a point in this. Story where God makes this covenant with Abraham. And it says in verse 12 of chapter 15, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, See, this was a dream that he was having. I have never heard that before. In all of the years that I've been studying the scriptures, I've been taught on this very passage. I've never had anyone say to me that Abraham was dreaming at that time. I thought it was a vision. But it says very clearly, he was in a deep sleep, and then the Lord said to him, and he made the covenant with Abraham. Look at Jacob. Well, we already looked at Jacob. Look at uh, Joseph. Genesis chapter 37. Joseph comes to his parents and he says, Hey, guess what? God's revealed to me this really cool dream. I'm going to be above all of you. What? Jacob. Now remember Jacob who dreamt about God talking to him? But then when his son has a dream and God talks to him, what do you think you are? You think you'll be better than me? I'm your father. And then, King Saul. How many of you, without looking, can think of a time that in the scriptures that talks about King Saul dreaming and hearing from God? Anybody? Look in 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel 28. 1 Samuel 28. Verse 6. Saul inquired of the Lord. But the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Urim was the lot where they would cast the, the Urim and the Thummim. And they would, it would be a, like, a, like a black and white dice thingy. Um, but it says the Lord didn't answer him by Urim, which was a common practice, by the prophets or by dreams. Which doesn't say it out loud. I mean, specifically, but it gives the intimation that at some point God did talk to Saul through dreams to reveal his will. But when Saul was desperately trying to get the word of God and he was in rebellion against God, if you read the whole story, God didn't speak to him either in dreams or the Urim or through the prophets. The door was closed because of sin. 
But it, it says to me that there was a time when there were dreams. And then, of course, Daniel. I mean, you could read through the whole book of Daniel, but specifically Daniel 7 talks about Daniel specifically having dreams and talking about, I mean, learning from God. And again, we're not going to go on. We don't have time to go into all these different things. I'm just giving you some evidences out of the Bible where God has specifically talked with people through their dreams. Now, you would say to me, well, yes, but the pastor, that's the Old Testament. This is New Testament. And we, we now live in a totally different different age. Well, let's look at the New Testament. Um, it was inspired of the Holy Spirit to write down these words in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, Pilate's wife saying to Pilate, have nothing to do with this man. I have suffered greatly today because of a dream. So apparently, dreams were still important or considered worthy of mention. Look also at Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, twice in the Gospel of Matthew. First of all, when Joseph is considering a, 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 a divorcing Mary and putting her away privately because she's pregnant out of wedlock, how does that change? God speaks to him directly in his dream and says, do not be afraid to take this woman as your wife. Then it says, after the Magi leave, God revealed to Joseph in a dream that they needed to get out of town. Because Herod was on the warpath, he was going to kill the babies. You need to take your wife and your son and get out of Dodge and they head to Egypt. And so, the, and then also talk about the Magi. The Magi didn't go back to Jerusalem. Why? Because a dream said, "Don't." Now those people, they weren't Christian. Of course, neither was Joseph at the time. But these were people who were listening for the voice of God. Then we get into to the time after Jesus, in the time of the Holy Spirit, looking at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Peter standing up before the whole of Jerusalem and saying, guess what, folks? Y'all killed the only hope you had. And he's addressing the crowd. Chapter 2, verse 17 and following says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams and so on. So what this means is, if you see a vision from God, you're still young. And if God talks to you for, with dreams, you're now old. <laughs> I say that jokingly, but it does say that in the Word of God. That... The old people will dream and the young people will see visions. Regardless of how it says, this is, old, this is New Testament theology being spoken that dreams and visions are still applicable to you as a Christian. If you look in the Acts chapter 10, you see that Cornelius, who was a follower of God, although he wasn't a Jew, had a vision. He must have been a young guy. It says that Peter... He had a trance. Is that asleep or is that awake? Not so sure. Maybe he's middle-aged. <laughs> but the bottom line is, God clearly revealed truth to him and said, through this vision, through this trance that he had, this is my plan and you need to follow it. And then it says he came out of the trance and what happened? The guys from Cornelius knocked on the door. Because that was a predictive thing. He was letting him know something was coming down the pike and you needed to change your heart and attitude because I've got a work that I need you to do. Now, then look at uh, Paul's vision. 
Paul has a dream and a vision. Well, he had the vision of Christ on the road to Damascus. But look in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 1 through 5. I must go on boasting, although I, there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell. And I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Now, scholars will tell you Paul was actually talking about himself. He had had an ecstatic experience of a vision of God in paradise, and God revealed to him certain things that he was never allowed to talk about. Now, was that a vision? Was that a dream? I don't know. It's not clearly said whether or not he was physically conscious or not. But the reality is, it's stated that this man had a vision or a dream about heaven and paradise, and things were revealed to him that he was never allowed to say on this earth. This is a New Testament character receiving a word from God, either by vision or dream. Then finally, and I don't have time this morning to even look through all of it, uh, but look at the book of Revelation, for heaven's sake. The gospel, I mean, the book of Revelation by, by John the Apostle, it says, on the Lord's day, I was in the Lord. Does that mean he was in a trance? Does that mean he was so focused in his meditation that the Lord just started speaking to him? Does that mean he was asleep and having a vision? I don't know. All I know is God clearly revealed to him all of the plan for the future through John. Now, I've talked about how God communicates through dreams and visions. I've said that it is not only an Old Testament practice, but it is also still for us Christians. But the question remains, or comes up then, is it okay to interpret dreams? Because isn't that kind of like mumbo-jumbo stuff? Isn't that kind of like getting into supernatural things and witchcraft and, and into sorcery and stuff, you know? Putting, you know, getting the, the, the going to the to the to the palm reader and have her interpret what you dreamt. There's a scene in Fiddler on the Roof. I absolutely love it. It's called the dream scene. And there's this point where Chevy is pretending to have had a nightmare, and he oh, 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 and his wife wakes up. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's horrible? It's horrible. I can't. I can't even talk. About it. Tell me what you dreamt, and I'll tell you what it meant. And then he tells her this fantabulous story. Makes it all up. And at the end she goes, it's from heaven, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we've got to change our plans. So, there's this thing about dream interpretation that seems like we shouldn't be touching it, because we're Christians, you know, and we shouldn't be going there. But look at Joseph in the Old Testament. How did Joseph come to power? He was in prison, and the cupbearer and the baker had dreams that they couldn't interpret, and Joseph was identified as one who knew how to interpret dreams. And as a result, he got an audience with the Pharaoh, because he was able to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams about the seven cows and the seven uh, uh, sheaves of wheat. Remember those, the 14? And so Joseph came to power. It was through God's plan. And remember the dream that Joseph had about him rising up above his parents? When Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt, he was over everybody other than the Pharaoh, including his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters. 
And so Joseph was able to interpret dreams and there was nothing wrong with it. It was honored in the scriptures. Then we can go into the prophet Daniel. Look at his life. And we don't have time this morning, but you can look it up in Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 2. Both of those. He is, he is honored for his ability to interpret dreams. So where do we get this idea that Christians shouldn't be part of this? That it's sorcery, that it's, it's, it's bad mumbo-jumbo stuff. Well, I can tell you, because I learned it in the last couple of weeks. I've had this book in my shelves for, oh, 14 years. It's called Windows of the Soul, A Look at Dreams and Their Meanings by Paul Meyer and Robert Weiss. I got this when I worked at Focus on the Family. This was one of the premiums that they gave away when, you know, you call in and say you listen to the broadcast and for a, a donation of any size, we'll give you one of these books. This was leftover in the stock, and so as an employee at Focus, I got to buy through the leftover stuff, and I think I paid, you know, two bucks or something for it. But I've never read it until just recently. And as I was reading it, there was something that I learned that I had never, ever heard before, and I wanted to share it with you guys. This is, this is out again, out of, out of the book, uh, Windows of the Soul, and it is um, an understanding of what's going on. And before I do that, I need to read. I forgot. I need to read. Somebody look up Leviticus 19.26, and somebody else look up Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 13. If whoever has Leviticus 19.26, read it out loud quickly, and then someone else, when you get Deuteronomy 18, 19, 9 through 13, then read that. Leviticus 19.26, anybody? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible. 19.26. Do not practice divination or sorcery. 19.26b, actually. Okay, Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 9 through 13. Anybody got that? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. 18 what? Nine, verse 9 through 13. And so what that's saying is, in order to be blameless before the Lord your God, you should not partake in the same practices that these people practice, divination and sorcery. The, the Hebrew word is anan, A-N-A-N. Well, that's, uh, d divining is, is, um, is uh, clairvoyance, clairvoyance. It's, it's, I, crystal ball, thank you. Reading the future with a crystal ball, doing tarot cards, Reading the palm, that kind of thing. 
I'm sorry? I, I, yeah. Let me, so let me now read to you, let me now read to you the, uh, the quote out of, um, out of Windows of the Soul. It is, uh, where did Christians lose touch with dreams as a normal means of spiritual communication and insight? Question is not particularly easy to answer. The early church fathers certainly continued the practice of the apostles and the Jews, expecting dreams to be means of divine communication. Um, Dr. Meyer once noticed a particularly prominent set of books in the corner of Dr. Weiss's personal study at the church. He had a 38-volume set of the entire writings of the early fathers of the church, and it covers the major literature of virtually every first 500 years of the Christian era. The writings of these saints and martyrs and theologians define and shape Christianity, and each volume is sprinkled with references expressing the identical view of dreams that is found in the New Testament. So for the first 500 years. Um, but then it goes into this. In, um, when Jerome, who lived from 340 A.D. to 420 A.D., when Jerome was in ministry, what he did, what he's most famous for, is that he translated the scriptures into Latin. He took the Hebrew scriptures and put them into Latin. He took the Greek scripture, the New Testament, put it into Latin. And that became the, the Catholic Bible. That's what the, Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church used for hundreds and hundreds of years until just recently when they translated, uh, when they came out with the, uh, the English New Jerusalem Bible, which happened probably about 50 years ago. And it says, and this is something I had never heard of, Jerome mistranslated the Hebrew word Anan, found in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 18, chase, classing dreams with forbidden practices. Unfortunately, his inaccuracy brought down the curtain on the rich spiritual dream heritage preceding him. Exactly why he erred is not clear, but the mistake has now been corrected in the newer versions. Anan means witchcraft or divination like like soothing, like fortune telling. Anyone practicing a non was classified as uh, with being with magicians, necromancers, people who communicate with the dead, with witches. The word occurs ten times in the Old Testament, and in seven of those instances, the meaning was translated as witchcraft. However, in these two instances, he translated those as observing dreams. And in so doing, he condemned dream interpretation. And literally, it tragically closed the mind of the future church. And then it goes on, I'm skipping, uh, skipping along, it says, however, the Eastern Orthodox Church never followed the Roman Catholic teachings, and to this day, they still use dream interpretation as a vehicle for God speaking to his people. Today, we are in a position to return the Western Church to biblical and apostolic practice. And I really struggled when I read that first. I thought, well, who do you people think you are? saying that Jerome was wrong. But they weren't making it up themselves. They were quoting somebody else who's already been published. So this is, this is something that's been around and understood. I just had never heard it or come across it before. But I do know that in my understanding and my, my upbringing, I was brought up Roman Catholic. I was taught fortune-telling and all of that stuff was, was evil and you don't have anything to do with it. And, I, and dream interpretation was part of it. And I always felt... That's the reason I never, never felt comfortable reading this book before. But as I started reading it, I was like, wow, God, this, is, this would be a really cool tool, but 
God, I, am I allowed to even do this? Is this something that I... But as I have been meditating on this, as I've been reading, as I've been studying, it is indeed, it is indeed something that Christians can partake in. Now, now I have to wrap this up because we're already way, way past where, where I plan to be at this point. But there's a couple things I want you to understand that I got from this book. You can read this book for yourself if you want. It's a lot that's probably not germane to what you're looking for. But I, I took this out of two specific chapters. There are two types of dreams. Indirect dreams and direct dreams. Indirect dreams are also known as subjective dreams. Direct dreams are objective dreams. 95% of all the dreams that people dream are subjective or indirect. Only 5% of the dreams are direct. And the difference between the two is the 95%, these subjective dreams, these are mainly, what did you do today? What's going on in your world? How, did, how does all of this relate to who you are? I mean, if you're dreaming about flying, that means you're trying to get away from something. If you're dreaming about, you know, all the... But, but the, the directed dreams, the 5%, they're rare, but when they come up, they're intentionally trying to communicate something to you, and usually, at least if you're doing it from a Christian perspective, they believe that it is God specifically trying to talk to you about this. And so, as a Christian, then you need to think, okay, well, if God's trying to communicate with me through this dream, what do I need to hear from this? And there's five things that God does through this. And again, I don't have time this morning. This is a whole chapter in the book. But there's five things that God does in speaking to us about dreams. First of all, he's instructing us. He's trying to give us information. Trying to give you information that you may not have. Okay? So it's not necessarily prophecy in the sense of foretelling something that but it may give you information that you never knew anything about. But all of a sudden now you know. And How in the world did you know that? I don't know. It must have been God. Okay? Number two, clarification. I am struggling with something. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to... Not, I mean, excuse me, not what I'm supposed to do. But I'm not, I'm not sure if this is right or if this is wrong. I'm not sure if this is, if this is really you know, the, the, the correct thing or is this not truth. Can, can God speak to me about this through my dreams? I think he can. And give you clear understanding, clarity of thought. Number two, direction, which is, God, I, I really, I don't know if I'm supposed to go this way or I'm supposed to go that way. And literally, he can show you in a dream um, discernment. Is this appropriate? Is this right? And then finally, prediction. And I wanted to read you one little story, and then we're going to wrap this up, because I love the ending about this, about with the prediction. Um, Paul Meyer was one of the authors of this. And um, he had... Where's it at? Okay. Why do such dreams come to some people and not to others? There is no answer. Perhaps the same dream opportunities were open to many people, but only those individuals were tuned in. On the other hand, some persons seem to have a gift, just as others paint or write. Others blame God for dreams he has nothing to do with. We're not dealing with algebra formula here, but with the mystery of God's grace. Predictive dreams appear because of their own inscrutable logic, but they can certainly make a difference. Paul recently discovered just how great the difference can be. His 86-year-old mother had an important dream when she was 27 years old. At the time, Elizabeth was being pursued by a young man who left her feeling rather ambivalent. One night, a romantic full moon filled her dreamscape. 
The moon looked like a giant, wonderful fishbowl with goldfish suspended in the sky, and the image left Elizabeth with an overpowering sense of well-being that a happy and loving marriage was just ahead. The next day, Elizabeth shared the dream with her friends at work. They were laughing at her about this impending romance. And at that moment, someone knocked on the door. To her surprise, Elizabeth discovered a visitor had returned from her distant past. This young man had grown up with her in a German community in Russia, but they hadn't seen each other for over 10 years. Elizabeth couldn't believe her ears when this brash young man said that his long journey was for one reason only. He was going to ask her for a date. Alex Meyer didn't waste any time. In one week, they were engaged, and 60 years later, Mrs. Meyer still believes the dream was prophetic and wonderfully accurate. That God can speak to us in ways that foretell the future. But the thing about the prophetic, and that's the, the thing I wanted to talk to you about specifically before we wrap this up, is most of the time, and this is what they said in there, most of the time the prophecy is not that you're going to know what's happening, but that you're going to recognize it when it happens. Okay? It's not that you're going to go out and say, God just told me in this dream that da 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 He can do that, because it says in the Old Testament that that's how he speaks to prophets. So if you're called to be a prophet, God can do that. But most of us, when we have our 5% dream, our dream from God, the one that's very rare, if it's telling you something about the future, it's so that when it happens, you'll recognize that it was indeed God was in it. For example, some guy coming up out of the blue saying, I wanted to come and see you because I wanted to date you. Excuse me? Creeper? Get away from me! But God had already told her, something's coming and it's going to be good. And the very next day, so now all of the ladies are going to go home and say, oh, I have a dream about a room. <laughs> but anyway, now the point of this is, the point I wanted to make is all of this. This is a 5% thing. This is not the norm. But don't be afraid of it if God indeed chooses to speak to you this way. And the last thing I want you to say, understand is from, from our perspective as, as Wesleyan Arminian Christians, people who, who understand God through that lens, John Wesley taught his followers that God can help you to know truth through four things. Scripture, tradition, reason, experience. Okay? And reality, it's actually scripture, tradition, reason, experience. Scripture, primary, supported by the reason, the tradition, and the experience. The dream would be an experience. The problem is, people get into their experiential stuff. Well, God, I experienced God's presence. And it doesn't line up with the scriptures. It's not how God normally deals with us. It's not, it doesn't speak the truth of the scripture. But they say, I experienced it, therefore it's true. Now you're getting into the mumbo-jumbo stuff. If it lines up with scripture... If the church, and I'm not just talking about this local church, I'm talking about the church universal. If the church universal says, yeah, that lines up with what we understand how God works with his people. If your own reason, if it makes sense that this God could be talking to me through this, and if indeed your experience lines up with scripture, then you can trust it. But don't be afraid to walk that path a little bit, is what I'm trying to say. One of the, one of the things I'm trying... That, I'm sorry, that's 
back up by 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 20. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. That's exactly what you've just explained. Praise the Lord. Thank you. I'm going to close this now. And that's the reason we did communion first. Because I knew this was more instruction than it was devotion. Um, But I want to encourage you, as you're doing your walk with God, let him talk to you in whatever way he wants to talk to you. And be open to however he wants. This one way, this is the unique way. It's a rarity. You're not going to go home tonight and every single one of you hear from God that way. But God could if he chose to. But be listening. Watch the ways that he wants to communicate with you. He'll speak to you. And don't be afraid to wake up and all of a sudden you see a ladder going up to heaven and God's standing in God's way. Trying to get your attention here. Father God, I thank you and praise you for who you are. And I give you glory. And I thank you for the way that you've moved in this service. And Father, I ask now that you'd go with these people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with each one of you. Go in this place. Amen. <coughs>